in his book, The 24-Hour Society, a gentleman named Martin Moore wrote that some of our most notorious industrial accidents, mostly of the past, such as Exxon Valdez oil spill, you may remember that, the Three Mile Island disaster, the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, and the fatal navigational error of Korean Airlines Flight 007. All of these disasters occurred in the middle of the night. In 1988, when the guided missile cruiser, the USS Vincennes, shot down an Iranian Airbus, killing all 290 people on board, Fatigue had so stressed the operators of the cruiser's combat information center that they misinterpreted radar data. And they repeatedly told the captain the Iranian jet was actually descending as if to attack. When in fact, they were on a normal flight plan. In the Challenger space shuttle disaster, key NASA officials made the ill-fated decision to go ahead with the launch after working 20 hours straight and getting only two to three hours of sleep. And in their error in judgment, cost the lives of seven astronauts and nearly killed the U.S. space program. And Martin Moore made this concluding comment, when will we learn that we ignore our need for rest and renewal at the peril of others and ourselves? We want to talk about the habit of rest today. How many of you need rest this morning? I see some hands. You know, you're welcome to, to, to lay down on some of these empty, <laughs> empty rows if you need to. That'd be fine. Some of you in the back have some real advantages back there. So, But I mean, you know, we don't think about it, but we live in a pretty fast-paced, get-her-done kind of world. I mean, you start up after you leave here today, I guarantee you always have something you got to do. It may be a spiritual activity of some kind, may not be, but I mean, at least it's, it, we're busy. We're busy people. Chuck Swindoll one time said in his book, Stress Fractures, he said, I distinctly recall after supper one evening, the words of my youngest daughter, <laughs> Colleen was her name. She wanted to tell me something important that had happened to her at school that day. And so she hurriedly began, Daddy, I want to tell you something. I, tell you, I need to tell you really, really fast. And Swindoll kind of said, he looked at her, he said, he was, he was frustrated. He said, well, honey, you can tell me, and you don't have to tell me fast. You can say it slowly. And he said, I'll never forget her answer. She looked at me and said, Daddy, I need you to listen slowly. Oh, what an indictment that is sometimes. He went on to confess, I had reached a time in my ministry when I had taken no time for rest or leisure, not even at meals with my family. Everything was just stretched to the limit. And as a result, guess what began to break down? Those all-important communication lines between you and other people. And both Mr. Moore and Mr. Swindoll here are indeed correct. We are moving fast almost all the time. But I want you to think about this morning that there's, there's something else that we need to factor into this, especially when we talk about rest. It was never our idea to begin with. God not only created Adam and Eve, but he also took time to walk with them in the cool of the evening, talk with them. He listened to them. 
He considered that these human beings were valuable enough to nurture a relationship with. And I guess that's where the lesson is for you and me today. If you and I do not add sufficient time to our schedule for meaningful communication, for relationships with those who are important to us, then what's going to happen is we're going to find those relationships disintegrating. And we can't keep up. We can't repair them fast enough. It's only as you and I take time to listen, to feel, and to respond that you'll ever imitate God in this area of our lives. You know, I watch us sometimes even here in the foyer. Lots and lots of conversations going on. But we're moving fast at the same time. And some of our conversations may be a little shallow at times. And, and uh, we're, we're almost it's like we're in a hurry to get in and we're in kind of a hurry to get out. And I don't think that's probably the best way that the Lord wants us to, to do our Christianity. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, rest time is never wasted time. It's, it's an economy to gather fresh strength. It's a, it is wisdom to take the occasional furlough. And in the long run, you shall do more by sometimes doing less. St. Augustine declared, God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. David Wilkerson said, in these times, God's people must trust him for rest of body and soul. Hannah Whitehall Smith wrote, no soul can be really at rest until it has given up all dependence on everything else and has been forced to depend on the Lord alone. And as long as our expectation comes from other people and things, nothing but disappointment awaits us. So this morning, as we continue this series, on embracing spiritual habits, I want us to think about the habit of rest. We simply stated, when we rest, we're taking a break from our regular activities, our regular labors, in order to rejuvenate and recharge our batteries and to refresh. And the Bible tells us that following the six days of creation, God deliberately stopped working. Genesis 2 verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all of their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, isn't it interesting? Now, God resting. I mean, now pay attention to that. Think about that for a moment. It wasn't that there was nothing else that he could have done. I mean, it certainly wasn't because he was exhausted, because omnipotence never gets tired. It wasn't because he'd run out of ideas. Omniscience has no limitations. He could have easily made more worlds, I suppose, or created an infinite number of other forms of life, and he could have provided multiple millions of galaxies beyond what he did. But he didn't. He just stopped. He took a break. He spent an entire day resting. In fact, the Bible says he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Now, we've talked about this word before, this idea of sanctifying something. And what it means is that you mark something off as extremely special and something that has a, a, a spiritual flavor to it, not just an ordinary thing. 
God made this day of rest a priority period of time. And so if you and I intend to imitate God, we too are going to have to deal with this issue. And that's hard for us because we live in a world, a society, and a place where everybody's in a hurry. Everybody's got to go, got to get things done. Most of you, I know that this is the case. Even as our church gets older, we don't seem to be slowing down all that much. We really do like to get things done. And we're going to have to make some changes. I want to make some suggestions for you to help you do that, help you cultivate the spiritual habit of rest. Here's the first one, all right? And I know you're going to write all this stuff down. Those of you with the energy to write on the back of your bulletin, you know, don't want to work you too hard, but get a good night's sleep on a regular basis, number one. Now, we have a dog. Sometimes he doesn't let us do that because he'll start yapping and barking at something he hears, like a flea or something. But, uh, but just to get a good night's sleep. In our home, occasionally, in our home, sometimes my wife wakes up grumpy. And sometimes she leaves me alone. Did y'all catch that? That's real subtle. Real subtle. No, I mean, you know, it's a big deal. I mean, we, you know, go to bed and, and it seems like next time you turn around. We slept in the, in our, in the second bedroom last night. Yeah, I just, I'm telling my story. I don't know exactly why. She said, let's just sleep in another room. I said, okay, we hardly ever sleep in there. Part of the reason why is the bed is like concrete. It's like laying down on a slab of wood or something. And, uh, but, you know, we got through the night. It was okay. The poor old dog came in and stayed for a while on the floor. That He gave up and went to the other room. And, uh, but we got, we got through the night, did we, babe? Okay. <laughs> Our next sermon series is going to be on marriage. <laughs> what not to say at church when you're preaching. Yes. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. You all have your own stories. You know, you got to get a good night's rest. A full day's rest at least once a week needs to be set aside. Okay, the interactive period is done now. I mean, we snatch moments of rest wherever we can. That's the goal. And then there's vacation times of refreshment, and we should take these. That repairs both body and soul. A release from just this the tightness, the grip of, of our intense labors and stress brought on by just daily stuff. And you may not have thought about it, but there's a lot of things that contribute to our lack of inner rest. A poorly developed sense of humor. If you don't learn to laugh at things, then you're going to be hard-pressed to really ever enjoy rest. I shared in the first service, I think I probably already shared it in the past, but we had an old gentleman, and he always, uh, when he came up to give the communion prayer, he's one of our elders, he always sat on the front row of the, of the pews. Now, these were not like these. When I say pew, you know what I mean. It's made of wood, it's hard, uncomfortable, and... Uh, but he sat on the front row all the time. Well, most of the time, um, you know, when he did this, we went right into the prayer and he was able to get up and go on. But there was something else happened. We had maybe a special song. I don't remember what it was. But he got stuck on the front row a little longer. And as a result of that, he began to be bored with what was happening around him. It certainly can happen to some of us. And he dozed off. And uh, he, he kind of he started going this way a little bit. I looked at him from the front, but there were people from the back. They were watching this. And so they saw him kind of went this way a little bit, and he kind of started, and he got back this way. 
and then he went a little further, and then the third time, fourth time, over he went. All the way over, legs came up, his head goes thump on the, on the hard pew, and then it woke him up, and now he's scrambling. It sounds like two or three people wrestling in the front row, and everybody in the church is just cracking up, and I'm up front trying to reorder these, these immature people, you know, and all this. And uh, the problem was his wife got away from him, and he just didn't, he, he just could, poor fellow. And uh, we had another fellow in our church that did this too, but he, we had nice, nice pews then, but he had his wife with him all the time. And uh, his name was Ed Miller. How many of you remember Ed Miller? I don't know why Ed Miller, Ed, Ed and Murray Miller came right up and sat right on the second row. But there's never been a sermon I ever preached that Ed ever made all the way through. He never did. But he would start to do his thing, and Murray would be giving him this, you know, and all this. You know, this is why it's so hard for you to concentrate on spiritual things, because there's so many funny things going on all around us all the time. And I'm not so sure that that's bad. We all laugh. I'm going to preach a sermon on laughter one of these days, because there's nothing wrong with it. God created us with that skill. But a poorly developed sense of humor can lead you to maybe not resting like you should. Focusing on more of what we don't have than what we do have can be discouraging to you. Or maybe a failure to just give play and fun and rest and leisure the right and proper place in your life. We have a strong tendency to compete and compare. And this can lead us sometimes to being so dissatisfied with things as they are. We can get into the preoccupation with always wanting more. And that drives us to work more and more hours and all this. And the result is, I mean, you just look around. You know, etched along among the faces of most Americans, you sense this boredom and this, there's no fulfillment. There's this deep sense of dissatisfaction. Not even a smile of quiet contentment do you see much. And even though our work is decreasing and our weekend time is, we have more leisure time supposedly according to experts than we've ever had. But yet our world still lacks inner peace. So how do we cultivate this, this thing called rest? How do we, how do we take that, that very important biblical concept and apply that to our lives, the way we live our lives right now? That's what I want to help you with today. We need to cultivate the spiritual habit. Mark chapter 6, verse 31 tells us that because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. This is Jesus with his disciples. Jesus said to his disciples, come away with me by yourselves. Let's go to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Psalm 62, verse 1 tells us that David did this too. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. So, so I want us to see what Jesus says about this subject in our text in Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28. By the way, these verses bring us to an important uh, time or shift in Jesus' teaching. Because up to now, most of his messages were dealt to the, given to the Jewish nation. And he just ran into more and more opposition and more and more reluctance by the Jews to listen to him and to believe that he was the Messiah. His message at that time up to that point was, you guys need to repent. You really need to get, to get on the game plan here. 
J. Vernon McGee says Jesus had presented his credentials and been rejected as the Messiah. So what does he do? Now, he now turns his attention away from the nation of Israel and to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and he began to present to them the gospel. He talked about the way of the cross to them. His preaching now focused on the individual. Listen to verse 28 where he says, Now come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now this is a brand new message, a new focus for Jesus in several ways. He's extending a personal invitation to everybody, like I said, not just the Jews. Second, he speaks of being weary and burdened. He's talking about the, not just the weariness of life, but the weariness and the burden of sin that they carried, especially when they failed to trust in him. The Jews didn't trust in him. And then third, in Matthew chapter 12, he introduces a whole new definition of what it means to rest. Verse 1 tells us, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields, and it was on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry, and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, except the Pharisees, which were the religious uh, law keepers, they had created hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ways that you could break the Sabbath, you could violate it. And so they said, you can't work, you can't do any work on the Sabbath day. And when, so the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful. It's unlawful for them to do this on the Sabbath. Now, again, the word Sabbath means rest. Uh, by the way, complete rest in its full form. It means you cease activity. It's a really, really neat word. It's found in every single section of the biblical text. Forms of this Jewish word occur 104 times in just the Old Testament. But as they had done so many times before, Every sacred thing that God had given the Jewish nation, they perverted it and distorted it. They made laws out of it. They twisted it. And by the time of the New Testament, there were dozens and dozens of ways a person could break the Sabbath. So listen to Jesus' response. Here they, his disciples are getting attacked because they picked something to eat off, off the corn. So he said, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. I was reading this this morning, and it occurred to me that we have sacred bread in our foyer called square domino. And it's only for the priests. Now, that could be translated pastors. That could be. Isn't this profound? I've never preached on Nick gave, I thank you, Nick, my brother back there. I've never preached on this before. We need to preach more on donuts. I'll check with my cardiologist and see what he thinks. At any rate, haven't you read, he said, on the Sabbath, the priests were desecrating the day, yet they were, all they were doing, they were working on the Sabbath, but the priests seemed to get away with it when nobody else did. I tell you that one greater than the temple is now here. Now, don't miss this. Jesus is boldly proclaiming superiority over the most holy center of Jewish life. 
It was the temple. It was all, and as far as the Pharisees were concerned, he'd not only broken the Sabbath, he blasphemed the Sabbath. So they were hot. And then in defense of his disciples, Jesus quotes from Hosea chapter 6. He said, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the innocent. He's declaring that there's no way what his disciples did had broken any Sabbath law. Why? Because of verse 8. Now, don't miss this one. Remember, the Sabbath day by keeping it holy because the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus was saying, you can't be making rules about the Sabbath when the one that created it, the Lord of the Sabbath, is right here with you right now. And I'm telling you what you can do and what you can't. He said, six days you shall labor. And this is just a reminder to them. It's out of the Ten Commandments. Six days you labor, do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath in the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither uh, your son or daughter, you, your, nor your maidservant, manservant, or your animals, or the alien within your gates. Why? I go back to Genesis. For in six days, six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all this in it, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. There's that word again. It means set apart. It means distinctive. It means that you are considering it something special and use it for a different purpose, a day that is not like all the other days. Now, here's where, you know, the preacher stops preaching and goes to meddling. I suspect that all of us are Sabbath breakers because we are just as busy as we can be all the time. And when Saturday gets here, by the way, that's what we're talking about. In a way, that's what we're talking about. Saturday is the seventh day. Sunday is the first day of the new week. But you know what we do? Saturday is catch-up day. You know, you know when you think about it, we have six days to get our work done according to God. But yet we are so busy. We have so much to do. We have made so many decisions that have created so many new decisions and responses. You know, and, and to try to obey this seems futile to us to be able to do it. So how do we honor the spirit and intention of this commandment? And how do we do it from these verses? Now, from these verses, God gives us two important lessons about the Sabbath. Here's the first one. The Sabbath is a holy day. It is holy. And then the second one is the Sabbath is a day for enjoying God's presence. See, Almighty God didn't need to rest. We talked about that. He simply desired time to sit and enjoy his creation. And I think what blessed the Sabbath was because he had fellowship with his creation, especially Adam and Eve. And guess what? They're our ancestors. And so the implication here is, is that somehow or another, we are stealing time away from the relationship we could have with God while we pursue and take care of all our other responsibilities and all of our other commitments and all the other things that are only wrong in our life. And from this first Sabbath, one thing becomes abundantly clear. God created it for our good. So the Sabbath day is holy. Number two, the Sabbath day is enjoying God's presence. God created us. He knows your soul. He knows your needs. He knows your, what your life is like. He knows what kind of things would help you. And the Sabbath is a gift from Him. 
And when we choose to accept that gift, we not only honor God, but at the same time, by submitting to him, he blesses us because he knows what we need the most. So since I suspect that observing the Sabbath day may be new to us, I want to give you some practical ideas, 10 of them as a matter of fact. 10 ways to keep the Sabbath holy. This is your habit homework. We've been working on this all all summer. Here's your Sabbath homework. Number one, don't do any work. (laughs) Simple. I mean, if a work event comes up on the Sabbath, if you can't get out of it, you decline. If you don't get all your work done before the Sabbath, you plan for an early morning the next day. And when thoughts about work pop up in your head, promise yourself you'll deal with whatever you need to tomorrow. Or if you need to write a quick note, Remind yourself, do that. But by not working on the Sabbath, you're saying God is more important than my job or my responsibilities. Now, granted, Saturday is the literal Sabbath. But you may have another day that you're off during the week. And you can make that your Sabbath. You're to remember the day of rest and keep it holy. And Sunday's really, I guess, not that way. We think Sunday is our day of rest. You know, I've struggled with that for 40 years. I work every Sunday, unless I'm in Florida. I mean, think about that. I mean, we ministers don't get to do this. You know, I'm guilty of, of breaking how many Sabbaths? How many, right? We, we've worked really hard over the years on Sundays. That's when people are home, so you try to call, you make hospital visits. There's a lot going on. But we have to find a way to honor God, even in the midst of those kinds of things. So, That's the first thing. Don't do any work if you can possibly do it. God is more important than your job. Number two, no TV. You all are thinking, what? No screen to look at during the day? Especially Saturday. You know what happens on Saturday? Basketball games. Basketball games. But remembering the Sabbath is about being with God. And I don't know about you, but I don't often experience God's presence much while watching TV. And then number three is no social media. See, it's getting better. Similar to TV, you know what social media does. It keeps our nose in a screen all the time. And I tell you, cutting out that kind of distraction is going to be be hard, but it goes a long way to keeping your Sabbath day holy. We spend far too much time paying attention to what's going on into the, out in the world and not very much time exploring what goes on in God's Word as we should. We're so caught up in this connectedness, but yet God seems to be squeezed out so often. You'll have to answer that question for yourself because you know what? You know, you know your habits in this area. So don't work, no TV, no social media. And then for this one day, it's one day a week, try to listen to Christian music, something wholesome. Setting your music to the Christian radio is like setting your mood for the day. Draws you into God's presence, keeps you focused on His goodness, encourages you. Number five, spend extra time on this day in your Bible and in prayer. One of the best ways to build a relationship with God is through direct communication with Him. And be intentional. Be deliberate about seeking more time to talk with and learn from Him. 
And then number six, one way to keep the Sabbath holy is have time with your family around the Bible. Have a family time of reading and sharing. Read a devotional passage or a passage of Scripture of how it applies to your home. Spend time discussing what you read and then pray. Rain and I, we go to bed most nights. We try to read something inspirational from several books. And uh, we found two or three that have been just such a blessing to us. But if you don't do that, then other things will cloud your mind. The last few thoughts you have before you go to sleep. And then you'll love this one, number seven. Okay, ready? I want you men to listen carefully. No housework. So I only put my hands on my hips. I'm being really serious with it. Here. No housework, whether it's cleaning the bathrooms, doing laundry, mowing the yard, housework never ends. So do yourself a favor and ignore it just one day each week. Now, if you need more convincing about that, just remember the story of Mary and Martha. Remember that? Luke chapter 10, you know, Mary chose what was better, sitting at the feet of Jesus rather than working in the kitchen and doing all the things her sister was doing. That's a side scripture. That's extra. You didn't have to pay for that. Number eight, spend time outside enjoying God's creation. Well, I like this one. I really do. I I need to do this more. I I love to be in the woods. Uh, I like outdoors. God created this whole world for our our benefit. That's why so many people experience God more carefully and intimately through nature. So take a walk. Play in the park. Ask God to reveal himself more to you in your creation. Then number nine, as you get to the close of your Sabbath day, then try to have some family worship time where, you know, you just get together and you can be creative about this. If you need any ideas how to do this in your home, then talk to our children's ministry director. Andrea has tons of ideas of how you and your child can interact and have some fellowship and fun together, worship God through songs, telling stories, and so on. And then number 10, you can invite friends over for fellowship. Sabbath day does not have to be a day of isolation. Get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ or a neighbor, you know, someone in your neighborhood, and just spend some time encouraging each other in the Lord. And remember, these are just ideas on how to observe the Sabbath to get you started. You don't need to implement all of them, but I do recommend you faithfully consider how is it that my Heavenly Father would want me to use and spend this time each week? Our society and our culture ignores this. But Christians, we're supposed to be countercultural. And as a result of it, you know, we can get past this idea of just kind of lining up with everybody else and doing what everybody else does. And I think we'll find ourselves a lot less stressed, a lot less frustration in our lives. I think they'll give us a greater opportunity to witness to others when people ask us uh, why we are doing such of the things we're doing. And in the end result will be God will be honored. We'll be encouraged and rested on multiple levels, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And we will develop this as a habit. So I don't have to preach on this every month for the next nine months. Okay. Let's all stand a minute. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your gifts to us. 
Help us not to neglect them or not to, help us not to fail to thank you for them. One of the many gifts you've given us is time, life, opportunities. And so, Father, my prayer would be as a congregation, as we look at where we are in this area, trying to develop these spiritual habits and to give more attention to them. I pray, Lord, that this one, though maybe hard on the surface, I pray that it will bear much fruit in the lives of our people here in the near future. Help us to recognize the rat race and keeping up this, this crazy pace of living does not honor you. And we want to honor you. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for creating our lives and our opportunities and our church family and all. We are so indebted to you, Father. So help us as we leave today to begin to think, okay, how can we honor you even more by devoting time during this coming week just for you, just to relax, just to sit back and enjoy the relationship you have granted to us. What a blessing. We love you, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.